1: Welcome to Switched On Pop. I'm songwriter Charlie Harding. And I'm musicologist Nate Sloan. And I am really happy to be joined by Ross Golan, who is a uh, hit songwriter who's written with folks like Maroon 5, Justin Bieber, Selena Gomez, Ariana Grande. Welcome to the show. Hello. Wow. Thank you. I also feel like we should plug, you've got a great podcast called And The Writer Is, Uh, where every week you sit down with an acclaimed and venerable songwriter to intimately discuss what happens behind closed doors in the music industry.
2: That's right. Yeah.
1: So we're so excited to have you in the room with us because, first of all, you just have incredible experience with so many songwriters. And if you look at a lot of the songs that we've covered on the show... Either you or someone you've interviewed on your show has probably contributed to that song. So you've got a lot of insight into what's going on behind the process. And we reached out with a list of different songs that we wanted to potentially discuss. And one of the songs that you pointed out was Ed Sheeran's Shape of You. It's been one of the most requested songs that our listeners have asked for, and we've actually been really hesitant to look at it for a certain reason. So what I wanted to do was to break down Shape of You, and in the second half, spend time talking about your podcast, um, and the writer is... Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Right on. It might be ridiculous, but background on Ed Sheeran. So... (laughs) Nate and I actually have kind of intentionally ignored Ed Sheeran, and I had to look up Ed Sheeran and figure out what is going on with him. Interesting. Um, why,
3: Nate? Why don't you? What, what do you think? I think the probably the simplest way to say it is that we haven't really been very excited by a lot of the music we've heard from him. Ah, So whenever we've gone to, to do a podcast, he's never been at the top of our list because we just it, it, we just didn't have that sort of visceral excitement. He's
2: a really interesting person. I've only met him a few times, but the first time I met him was back stage at a concert in New York, and I had just gotten off of a plane, and it was probably, I don't know, midnight, and I'm there with, uh, I, I fly in with a guy named Omar Malik, who you'll see his songwriting credits all over the place, and we yeah. were meeting up uh, backstage at, I can't even remember whose show it was, but we were meeting up with Benny Blanco, who has just wow. recently executive produced this Ed Sheeran record. And backstage was J. Cole and Skrillex. (laughs) And we're all in a circle drinking whiskey and doing shots of Jameson. And Ed Sheeran starts freestyling. The minute Ed starts freestyling is the minute you realize who ed really is yeah and as an artist i've worked with a ton of people i don't know that many people who spit out that that volume of interesting lyrics so quickly Hmm. i mean it's he's truly a savant and the more you get into it and the more you actually go and experience him live or you experience him in in person that's when you actually understand Ed Sheeran.
3: First of all, say wow! What an image of all those <laughs> songwriters. And yeah, musicians I mean, cl- hanging I'm out the together.
2: Lo- I'm the lowest on the rung in that room. You know, it's just whole yeah. like jaw dropping talent.
3: They needed you to to make a mignon, so that's that's why you were there. Exactly. <laughs> I hear what you're saying. In a way, I feel like I like everything about Ed Sheeran. I like uh, his live shows are simply jaw dropping. I haven't been there in person, but I've watched them online. In interviews, he's like effortlessly charming and hysterically funny and he seems really smart i feel like i like everything about him except his music <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm actually oh. glad to have this opportunity to go deeper into that terrain with both of you and and see see you know how we feel on the other end
1: yeah i think part of what we're looking for is to help convert not so much as convert skeptics but to say that i think on first listen i often just haven't paid attention like the, the first listen I'm like oh didn't catch me i'll go find another song for this week and i actually did finally go up and l- look at sort of just ed sheeran's wikipedia page i was like wait a minute okay i know he's a ma- major pop star but the list of things about his background is insane from totally. being discovered by jimmy fox in a small la club to writing for taylor swift touring with her winning multiple grammys getting huge support by elton john and i think i read that for his last not the most recent album, but the album before he wrote 140 songs in order to pare it down to that sounds right well, yeah <laughs> so i honestly just sort of looking at that and then looking at some of his credits he's written for justin bieber the song we're going to talk about was originally supposedly written for rihanna he's now acting on game of thrones like the size of his stardom kind of really i I was almost starstruck just reading the wikipedia and i thought you know one of the things that maybe we're guilty of is is um being too stuck in our taste and so what i wanted to do was take a second to listen to just a little bit of shape of you uh, together and then break
0: down what's going on. That's it right now. The club isn't the best place to find the lovers of so the bar, is where I go. Mm-hmm. Me and my friends at the table doing shots, tripping fast, and then we talk slow. Mm-hmm. And we come over and start up a conversation with just me, and trust me, I'll give it a chance. Now, I'll take my hand, stop, it, and the man on the jukebox, and then we start to dance. And now, I'm singing like, girl, you know I want your love was handmade for somebody like me Come on now, follow my lead I may be crazy, don't mind me, say boy, that's not She smell like you every
1: day discovering something brand new. I'm in love with your body. So, one of my favorite books in the world is this book by Carl Wilson called Let's Talk About Love. You read this one? No. It's a critique of Celine Dion's 1999 album, Let's Talk About Love. The conceit of the book is basically that it's not about Celine Dion. It's actually about taste, and he argues that so often critics use taste as a way to reinforce class structures around what is good and what is not good, and he basically says that there's a major chasm between the perspective of critics on Celine Dion's music and her mass appeal. So I think in some ways Nate and I might be guilty of, as I was saying, sort of falling into traps of our own tastes and upon first listen just being like eh, that song's not for me so what i want to do together is break down what is working about this song so i just want to hear from your perspective what what is so cap- what, what what what
2: captures you when you listen to this tune well this is fascinating for a couple reasons one is benny the guy who executive produced the album was our first guest on and right. writer is it's a great interview and we were talking about this song and the release of this song yeah. and ed knew through the process he's involved right now he's planning out the next album while we're analyzing this. No. He, oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the first four albums he essentially had planned. Oh, my God. You know? So here we are working on this new album. And to him, he's the one who said, let's go and release two singles on the same day. Releases this and Castle on the Hill. Right. right. He says this and the, the label's like, no. And he says, just <laughs> trust huh. me. Huh. He's the one who has the his finger on the pulse of what's actually working. It's sort of what you were talking about where Celine's releasing songs and choosing to release songs mm. because she knows her fan base loves it. Mm. She's not really concerned about what the critics think. Right. She's releasing gold and platinum records right. because that's right. that's the process. Right. This song in particular, he wrote with Steve Mack along with two other songs that day. And when they did it, huh. They thought this was going to be... Um, they actually thought this was going to be maybe a Little Mix song. Like, Steve loved it. And uh. afterwards, they went back and they said, well, what do you think of this? And, and Ed was like, I don't know. Maybe it's more of that. Right, because it, it has
1: a different sort of feel than Ed yeah. Sheeran is known for. It does, sure. It's not so much the acoustic guitar feel. It's it has it's totally. sort of a dance number.
2: Right. But the thing is that what what Steve's great at as the producer of this song and what he's great at in general is that he knows how to... The, the track's minimal. Yeah. So there's not yeah. a right. there's not so much going on that you can't just hear the song and the voice right. is what really matters. Yep.
0: The club isn't the best place to find the lover, so the bar is where I go. And,
2: and he worked on the track and made sure the track was the part, as good as it could so be. It, could be. Mm. it was. I, I actually think maybe some of the other songs that, uh, that they did that day may have also been cut by other artists, mm. but this one they knew was a special song. They mm. just didn't know necessarily where it would go. And you'll mm. see with writers throughout the process of, of an album, they'll choose their single partly around, you know, if everybody wants to cut this song, yeah. then at some point they may just say, I guess I should release it. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think that, you know, this song in particular, what yeah. I like about it is that it's super patient
1: it's really patient
2: you know to wait after the one on that pre-chorus is what makes that pre-chorus work because mm. of the one na, 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 yep. na, na, na. that break it allows us to get sucked in for a second right which is the only reason why you know the chorus really pops the way it does is because of mm. the patience going into that pre-chorus i'm in love with the shape
0: of you we push and pull like a magnet too.
1: And then supporting that lyrical or the, the rhythmic patience, there is just a really slow build, right? We right. have a single riff throughout the entire song. That's right. This sort of kalimba feel.
2: Which is really hard. It's hard to write a song where yep. each section has dynamics and they're unique while the track doesn't really slap you in the face. with Here's the chorus. Yep. You know, it's, it's a lot of voice. And, and his voice sounds amazing on this record.
1: This is where... Upon listening multiple times, I realized that this isn't a departure for Ed Sheeran, but it's actually very much his kind of song. Yep. So I think people are are deceived by the sample that runs throughout, right? That looping, right. funky sound, this thing, right? Yeah. So when you hear this, you're like, oh, this could be a Diplo track, right? Sure. But then what you get immediately after are acoustic guitar drumming. And Ed Sheeran is known for his live show where he loops himself over and over and over again. And in many ways, this song builds almost like a solo song that he's looping on his guitar. And each element comes in slowly and then huh. drops back out as if he's hitting a looping pedal.
2: Yeah, you can see it best in the, the Grammys this year. Yeah. He was there and he did it, did it live and you can see um, what he's capable of there.
1: Oh, yeah, it's it's remarkable. And and then even just the the flow of, of his words is very normal for Ed Sheeran. You have... A lot of lyrics happening really quickly with a lot of syncopated rhythm, and it works really well with this track, but it's something that he does just as well with a strumming acoustic guitar. So he's, I think he's actually really taking his style of a live performer, um, his style as a lyricist, his style as an acoustic guitar player, and he's just giving you something slightly different, this, this little loop. And for most listeners, they think, oh, this is a total departure, but it's actually very much in line with everything that he does.
2: Yeah, and and in a way, shame on the artist who just releases the same song over and over again. Yeah, right. You know, the guy who releases, if he comes out and he releases A-Team again, my guess is we're all going to say, ah, he already did this and he didn't do it as well as A-Team. Right. I applaud an artist, especially of the magnitude of Ed's career right now. Not only does he release it, but the idea was that when he releases, he's going to release Castle on the Hill at the exact same time. Which is a totally so, different song. Totally different song, and it allows its his fan base to say he didn't right. leave us completely. Uh. So he's really smart in making <laughs> sure <laughs> that that other song will keep the wolves at bay.
1: Right, while uh, Shape of You might climb up the top 40 and bring in new listeners that might
2: otherwise not have paid attention, a la me and Nate. I've heard that this song was not even going to make the album. Really? Yeah, there are some songs that are on the cusp of, well, it doesn't make sense in the album, but it's such a good song that maybe it should be the single. And that Mm. happens on a regular basis because you have a collection of the core eight, nine songs that make up the album. And then you're trying to figure out what are the best songs that have the best shot. And he decides to go with Shape of You. Mm. And I know there were some opponents to that song being Uh, the single. And it's that thing of, and he knows this, that if it works... Yeah. and radio does respond to it, then it's fair game for whatever he decides the second, third, fourth, fifth single is. Oh, interesting. Because he then depicts, he, he's the one who's dictating the how radio programmers are choosing the next single. Hmm. And if they fall for Shape of You, they're going to fall for the rest of the album. Hmm. And it worked. It was a It's a brilliant strategy. Wow. And it's a lot of strategy on that side.
3: That's you know I'm thinking about about what you've said and maybe now can credit Ed Sheeran a little more with being having having a very productive mix of being like at once very calculating and at at the same time kind of spontaneous like the, these anecdotes you know of, of like having the control over his uh, release strategy and that kind of calculation at the same time the the spontaneity of busting out a freestyle maybe we hear both of those in his music like I'm thinking about this song now. In terms of the what Charlie was talking about, the way it's just like filled with lyrics that sound at once very conversational mm. ah. and very natural. Yeah. yeah. And at the same time you think, no, he really carefully selected where each of these words go, and as you were pointing out, like where they go in terms of the rhythm of the song, giving a pause on the first on the downbeat. So maybe maybe I'm 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 starting to see like maybe that's kind of a part of the secret of his success is that it's like sound, it's very calculated, but sounds very casual at the same time. Last thing
2: I'll say before we get into the song, because I know you, yeah. we, we need to do that, but yeah. <laughs> you know, his ingenuity in something like Love Yourself, which is conversational and is so um, colorful, his ability to, to write that record, and that's an Ed Sheeran yeah. record, mm. it was the fact that it was mean huh. that he didn't want to release it. The fact oh, that really? it was not... yeah. <laughs> I mean, otherwise, that'd be an Ed Sheeran record. <laughs> uh-huh. so if
0: you like the way you look that much, oh, baby, you should go and love yourself. Oh,
2: so uh, he's still making sure that he puts out records that are primarily a positive message or they're a colorful right. message.
1: Well, that gets us into maybe the, the song. The opening lyric is, the club isn't the best place to find a lover, so the bar is where I go.
0: The club isn't the best place to find a lover, so the bar is where I go.
1: I think it's a really great line because first it references the tone of the song, right? This is a club
3: song. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it,
1: it's, it's also subverting its own expectations, Perfect. right? And the idea of, man, I'm not having a good time dancing on the floor. I'm just going to go hang out with my friends at the bar and have a drink is immediately recognizable right like anybody can grab onto that like oh yeah i know how that feels and so it has that conversational feeling and it's actually why upon further listening to this track i was grabbed by it
2: yeah it's smart <laughs> i mean it, you you'll start realizing as we go through all these lyrics that none of them are by accident right it's the little details it's when you say you know your love was handmade for somebody like me Girl, you know I want
0: your love was handmade for somebody
2: like me the word handmade for mm. somebody like me is actually way more descriptive than we would probably give it credit for just mm. listening and pass mm. you know like yeah. you would just listen to it and you'd say like whatever you would say i guess the there are a million ways you could say that in it i don't know if i've ever heard that in a song i don't know if i've actually ever heard your love was hand it, it hand- handcrafted you know, your like love a... was handmade for somebody like me i don't know if i've ever heard those words before in a in a pre-chorus. And when you think about it, how Mm. many of those moments does it take to make a song unique? Mm. And already he's starting off with this strong line and that song's in the pre-chorus, you
3: know? Yeah, that handmade line really stood out for me the first time I heard it and kind of is, is like in some ways the linchpin of this whole song because I think if we get into a little bit why we also take issue with Ed Sheeran, part of it would be a certain... What we perceive as a certain Genericness in some of his songs But that line cuts through In such a powerful way Because you're right it is Unique and A little familiar but also unexpected So yeah so I, I think I, I like that you highlighted that line It seems like an important one Yeah
2: it's a, even in the rhyme scheme in the chorus mm-hmm. I'm
0: in love with the shape of you We push and pull like a magnet Although my heart is falling to
2: For him to essentially not make it rhyme with "I'm in love with your body" and have it tie it into "every day discovering something brand new," I, I always thought he was going to go and rhyme with "body," mm. right? You know, but instead he goes "I'm in love with the shape of you," which is actually more of like a Nashville style rhyme scheme. Oh yeah, which is really interesting to me. That was a, a really interesting choice. That may have happened in the moment. I'm not saying that was necessarily deliberate, but that's a really smart rhyme scheme because you're expecting it to rhyme with body. At least I was. Yeah. But because it rhymes, it's not wrong. It's just a choice. So I like that. And and again, remember, when you're listening to A-Team, let's go back to the beginning because I think if you judge Ed Sheeran on this and his Uh whole career on this, or even... um, you know, what's the, what's the record that he won Song of the Year for? Thinking Out Loud? Yeah, Thinking Out thinking Loud. Thinking Out Loud. Like, no. that's like a stream of consciousness. Not only is it, you know, it's it's everything that's antithetical to my career as a, as a professional songwriter, <laughs> you know, but then you go and you hear what he can do on something like Love Yourself, and you realize that sometimes he's intentionally speaking off the cuff, and the reason why his fan base loves him so much is, is that it sounds like that kid who is the best guitarist, singer, songwriter in your dorm. And you don't feel like you don't feel yeah. like this guy is he's not a product. He doesn't look like the product, he doesn't right. sound like the product, and he deliberately releases songs along the way that can keep you guessing whether or not he's the guy in the dorm or he's Taylor Swift. <laughs> right. And that's like and Taylor Swift is also good at that. Yeah. But those are super deliberate writers who are doing that on purpose.
3: It's a clever double act to be able to sustain like that. I agree. I like how you say he
1: keeps us guessing. And perhaps that's what makes this song particularly powerful. We've established that it runs on a loop of the exact same chord progression throughout. You have underlying throughout most of the song the kalimba sound and the acoustic guitar drumming. They drop in and out a little bit yeah. here and there.
3: Kalimba, incidentally, The sound of 2016, as we were told by Gray in our last episode.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's already, this is the pinnacle of it, you know. And if you're talking about 10 years ago, people are using shorty (laughs) in every song, you know, or or you start using the word swag in a song, or you have dubstep bridges. Everything had a dubstep bridge, whatever that is, you know. This is the same sound that you hear in, you know, Don't Want to Know. I don't want to know, no, no, no. Who's taking you home? Oh, oh, oh. loving you so, 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 so.
0: I used
2: to love you know, it's basically the manifestation of what Kaigo did last year. Yep. Mm-hmm. And this is the, uh-huh. the pinnacle of where it enters the pop zeitgeist. It's also the thing that a lot of labels are already like yeah Eh, we we already have it well (laughs) so
1: so if it is so established i think this is exactly the point it's what he does with it and makes it different and and where he subverts our expectations that that makes it work well because it
2: doesn't work with ed sheeran like who would have thought it sounds you know it's it's like a remix of an ed sheeran yeah
1: if ed sheeran is successfully both establishing something where our expectations are set and then subverts them where in this song, musically, do you feel like he's playing with their expectations really successfully?
2: Well, I mean, you've realized, obviously, you guys are on the same page with this that, you know, being a, a writer is, isn't being an illusionist. So hmm. the fact, it, it's what I was saying right from the beginning that you kind of have this wordy verse. A club isn't the best place to find the lovers, so the
0: bar is where
2: I go. Sort of rappish. Hmm. You know, it's reminiscent of kind of that early 2000s kind of like what you, uh, you dance to in your fraternity or something like that it's like kind of like it's got like a biggie light kind of
1: vibe I and then
3: between.
2: i think that pre-chorus the fact that it comes in late that sort of going from the verse and you have this wordiness and then purposefully giving that space before the first line of the pre-chorus is really the example of writing at your best.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm in love with the shape of you We push and pull like a magnet Although my heart is falling too I'm in love with your body And last night you were in my room And now my bed sheets smell like
2: you Every day discovering something just when you're waiting for that song. I mean, that's a lot of dead space. Hmm. Yeah. It's a lot of dead space in the middle of a pop record.
0: Now, mm-hmm. I'm in love with the shape To
2: have... What is that? I mean, I guess the line before it ends before the one. That comes in on, what, beat three? So you're talking about a whole measure of just kind of like nothing. Hmm. Yeah. No oohs. Three
3: long beats. Well,
2: actually, then you have the... Mm. Yep. You have a little lead in. That was super smart. It uh, gives... I always talk about how we have to frame things. We have to frame titles. We have to frame sections. And he so well frames each section in this. You know what the verse is, what the pre-chorus is, and what the chorus is. And you are dragged through it whether you like it or not. Right. Even the fact that you guys aren't into it, you still at the end, it's a... It doesn't matter whether you like it or not. You still ended up listening to the whole thing because it's super well-crafted.
1: Again, I think part of the reason why I I jumped into this thing, "Eh, it's not for me, is I think when I first heard that, the first loop, I was like, "Eh, I'm not interested. But then I listened all the way through. And then I went and recreated the entire track and tried to break down every little piece. There's so many pieces which are so intentionally assembled to get you from one section into another or to make you hear a section in a new way. All of these moments where there is a spaciousness in his vocals. Part of what's happening is there's also these wild polyrhythms happening with a triplet feel in that main line, which is then being supported by or augmented by synth strings that pop up and are kind of in the background and give you something to just like pop up on on that last beat of the triplet. So in, in the kalimba, go dot dot dot. That last note, he'll add a little... strings that pop up over it and so it's just constantly each time that it comes through it's in a new context even though it's fundamentally so simple Yeah. and each time that he goes into a new section we get whether it's a he, he adds an analog bass he adds sort of a bigger thicker bass he adds that those synth strings There's subtle clapping with lots of reverb, and each time it feels like you're listening to the same thing, but it has a totally new context. So I think those rhythms and how they support each other really reinforces that idea that he can leave spaciousness in his vocals because there's something which is going to catch you and you're going to dance to. Yeah.
3: Yes, it does seem like the further we dig into this song, the more there is to laud here, Uh, but... Gentlemen, at this point, I have to say it is time to take our commercial break. So when we return, more with Ross Golan. Stay tuned.
0: Like who would have thought? Watch Running Sucks at Running and learn more about
1: how Team Milk is helping women runners across the country conquer their next course.
3: Welcome back to Switched on Pop. We are here in the studio with songwriter Extraordinaire Ross Golan. Not only does he write number one hits for artists like Ariana Grande and Selena Gomez. He also has an awesome podcast where he talks to other songwriters. It's called And The Writer Is.
1: Thank you. So you have the opportunity to talk to songwriters all the time,
3: both as
1: a career songwriter. You are constantly collaborating. It's not the uh, individual genius writing on sheet paper anymore, right?
2: But that, well, was all that, 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 even,
1: that even ever existed as a myth. <laughs> but it, and,
2: w- it was so, that was collaboration. I want people yeah. to look up the Brill Building, Yeah. which pre-1964 was essentially a bunch of, you know, mostly two-person writing teams yep. that really were shaping pop music. And they would go and they would have these cubicles, essentially, with a piano. People would walk in and they would say, what if you do that? What if you do that? Hmm. And in that era... I have this debate a lot because I'm part of the Grammy board and we talk yeah. about these kinds of things. You know, there was an era where the guy who goes, do, 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 <laughs> doesn't get songwriting credit. Oh. You know, the guy who goes, do, yeah. doo 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 do, do, is playing bass in a bar in Toronto right now to and, make a living, be, even though he wrote the hook on two number one songs. So when you see a list of writers, we're making up for the faults of all the generations in, in, you know, Motown. That's not Brill Building, those two songs, but where they weren't giving songwriting credit to the people who were actually writing some of the main themes and songs. Right. So we're a different generation where collaboration is, is essential in what we do and we actually give credit. So rather than looking at a song like, "Oh yeah, they only had needed two writers to write this song," and you see all those memes where it'll be twenty writers on a Beyonce song, right, yeah. and they'll show two and they'll somehow right. say like, "This is better." No, 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 no. Yep. Those two guys stole a bunch of ideas by the <laughs> eleven guys who are actually writing the, a lot of the music, <laughs> and they, you know, you could look at it like that too. And this is coming from the guy who's writing almost all the lyrics and melodies in sessions.
1: So you've expanded this collaboration beyond just the songwriting room, you're, you're now taking that collaborative songwriting process into a larger conversation. You have a podcast called And The Writer Is, and it's an mm. interview show where you talk one-on-one with other songwriters who I imagine are both part of your songwriting network, which is an ever-expanding intersecting circle of other songwriters, and you start to see uh, one songwriter participate in this with this other person, and they're all linked together. I wanted to ask you about what, what kind of things come up between two writers that's different than, say, when a songwriter goes and and talks to Terry Gross?
2: I like that you asked that question because I think that's the real difference between what we're doing and and what you get on NPR. And the reality is that, one is, all songwriters have gone through a little bit of the same process. We all wanted to get in the music business. You know, songwriters were either trying to be artists or (laughs) they want to be artists still. Right. So... Most of the guys have either been in bands, have had record deals. They've worked with bands. They So right. they, we have this similarity there. But in the real human sense, we spend hours and hours together. We eat meals together. Yeah. We eat. We all know when our families are sick. Yeah. When it's my wedding and half the people there are songwriters, it's not because, huh. you know, and, and you're talking about we have – a bunch of number one writers and grammy nominating Grammy-winning producers at our weddings. It's not because we're trying to network. It's because when I need, when I'm in a session, yeah, we're really telling each other what really matters. Yeah, and we're there to hear all of it—the mm. so darkest and the ha- happiest. I mean, you know, talking about. The guys from Shape of You, and you're like, you know, you can hear in the Benny, the the executive producer, of that you'll, you if you listen to that, you can hear one. We've been close for a long time, but his story's incredible. You
0: yeah. know, you're talking yeah. about a
2: guy who wrote An I kissed a girl at 18 years old, <laughs> and and that was not he had at, before that had already had number one songs. Wow, you're talking about. A guy who essentially lived on the streets in in New York because his mentor passes away and he's looking for a place to live, and you're like, this guy's journey is incredible.
1: That that interview had me totally. I was totally enraptured in it. I, his story is, uh, yeah. Like,
2: how are we supposed to be friends? Like, how yeah. am I? I'm like, I'm just an overgrown kid from from the <laughs> suburbs of Chicago. Who, with Steve Mack, you know, when, when I go to London, Steve, the producer of, of Shape of You, Yeah. you know, I, I tend to write mostly with Steve when I'm there. So we go and we yeah. spend, you know, I, I get a hotel that's only three stops away from, you know, from his studio, and we spend a lot of time just the two of us in front of a piano, you know, and it's just the two of us talking about life. I've yeah. gone to concerts with him and his girls, you know, I know about his family, I know these guys are not just to everybody else. They're writers, and to us, we're family. We're literally going through this grind together because we have to. It's it's these. It's just this huge network of friends and family, which is which is different than that previous generation. You know, when we talk about all those mm. songs that had only two writers on it. Man, I wish I was back then. I'd be a lot yeah. more wealthy. <laughs> but it, but in a practical sense, there was a lot of animosity in that generation. And right. there was there were a lot of bullies in the music business. And it's... right now there are no bullies. You have to be nice. You have to be friends because word travels really fast when you're a dick. So <laughs> oh, everyone man. wants everyone's friends with each other. And this podcast to me I have this book that everybody signs that I've worked with. Yeah. And there's 400 names in it. It's everyone from like Bon Jovi to, you know, David Guetta. And then it's everyone from Lamont Dozier to Max Martin. And to me, it's like, I want to go back and I want to sit there and talk to these guys about how is it possible that I'm sitting in a room (laughs) with Savin Kotecha, who wrote Into You, who I, you know, when you guys did that. Savin's this guy who was born in a conservative Indian family in the middle of conservative Texas. And Mm -hmm. he happens to write songs in his room because he loves it. Yeah. He writes a song and he sends off this song to like a competition. He ends up getting this weird deal with in Nashville. The song ends up making it to the A&R for Backstreet Boys. And he almost had a 100% song on millennium until his, his parents said, no, no, you made a deal with somebody in Nashville. You can't do that. Huh. At 17 years old, he almost sold 25 million copies of a song. So how wow. does this kid in a conservative family in Texas, who's he's a first-generation American, how does he end up in Sweden... <laughs> Be, how does he then marry a girl? End up as a as a vocal coach on X Factor in the UK, huh. where he has the opportunity to break One Direction. Wow! Which then brings him to to LA, where he then ends up being a big part of Max Martin's right. publishing company. Yeah. How is it that that guy who I've been friends with for years, you know, I write Dangerous Woman in my car. You know, bring, spend a month on that chorus, bring it mm. into my friend, who's um, who I write almost everything with. We rewrite the song, the you know, put it all together, yeah. and we show show Savin. And even though at the this time it was with another artist, Savin's like, "Let me play it for Ariana." He plays it for Ariana. Ariana comes upstairs and says, "Can I please make this the lead single? I'll make this the name of my huh. tour and my album if you just let me have a chance." Yeah. So we give her the chance and she kills it. And so my life has changed because an Indian guy from Texas finds his way into the same family that I end up in. Like that's what that podcast is about.
1: Be- I, like, I like that you call it a family because... Not only are your stories interconnected, because you all depend upon each other, but in the songwriting process, you have to have such a deep level of trust, because you have to be able to say, "Uh, your chorus doesn't work. I'm going to you're going to scrap that. We're going to do this." Okay, cool. Oh but your idea, no, well, let's work on something together. You're constantly having to be vulnerable you're having to give up ideas, you're having to present ideas, and you have to be in a place of both having complete buy-in around the vision of what you're producing, but also no attachment to what's
2: happening as it's going. Yeah. Imagine these artists who are all over TMZ, who are all over the world, and they have to walk in, and they have to tell me their deepest, darkest things that are going on. (laughs) You know? like These people are really brave in many ways. And they're having to walk in, and they have to go, and they have to tell me about what they're what they're really dealing with. And they have to trust me. Yeah. You know, I always say, if you want to know what it's like to write a song, to be a professional writer, walk in a room with people you don't know, sing at them, and then ask what they think. <laughs> yeah, for you sure. You know, I mean, That's I have terrifying. to walk in, and every single time, I mean, yeah, I was with a major artist last night, and it's still the same thing. It's like, okay, I have this idea. Is this any good? Yeah. You know, for all angles. I mean, we're yeah. all like that with each other. And it's like, I have no idea. I mean, imagine just walking into any room and sing it with at whoever the people are in the room and just you'd be yeah. nervous. I don't care how many times you've done it. I don't care how many times you think you've had a hit song like it. You're just a kid in their car thinking of a concept and, and working through a melody and being like, I don't know is good. <laughs> and mm. I guess the, and the writer is, what's so exciting about it is that we talk a lot about process and how people write, but the people who write these songs are just fascinating. Yeah. There's great, some really yeah. great stories in there. Yeah.
1: So if people want to go listen, they should find it. iTunes, anywhere you find your podcast. iTunes, podcasts.
2: Spotify now. Yeah. It's basically anywhere we can find podcasts. All of our handles are at, and the writer is, or cool. I'm at, at Ross Golan and, uh, yeah there you go awesome
1: well it was such a pleasure having you on the show really excited to to break down those songs i i definitely am a bit more of an sheer and convert both for his uh <laughs> sheer talent that is incredible to hear about and also as i listen more to his tracks i find uh i am more drawn in uh so thanks for breaking it down with us
2: yeah of course thank you guys
3: yeah thanks for us Switched on Pop is produced and edited by me, Nate Sloan, and him, Charlie Harding. Bill Lance is our incredible editor. You can find more episodes of Switched on Pop on whatever podcast listening device is your method. And you can go to our website, www.switchedonpop.com Reach out to us on Twitter or Facebook at Switched on Pop. We love to continue the conversation Big thanks to Luke Harris who does all our design And we are proud members of the Panoply Network Stay tuned, two weeks from now, more deep dives into pop hits As always, thanks for listening